0: It's the Break Cast, Break of popbreak.com.
1: As I sit down to write this, I'm really struggling to think of how The Wind Rises applies to Marshall. The film is a biographical look at the life of the man who designed the iconic Zero warplane for the Japanese in World War II, and that doesn't really align with Marshall's values. I can hear him now uh, criticizing the light romanticizing of a man who created Machines for. War. The film itself isn't even Marshall's favorite work by Miyazaki. It's probably not even in his top five by the director. Anyone who knew him could tell you that Kiki's Delivery Service was his favorite, and it was probably his third favorite film of all time. But what the movie does have is history, and Marshall loved history. It was his major, his passion, and probably his favorite thing. I remember one night... Uh, trying to sync up our computers as we watched Abel Gans's grand 1927 epic Napoleon at the same time on a live stream so we could discuss it and analyze it and criticize it together. It's one of the fondest memories I have of a man that I never got to meet in person like we had always hoped would happen. So I'm rewatching this film tonight, and I'm looking at it through a purely historical lens of how this engineer meant so much to his nation, of how the great earthquake devastated a nation before the war, of how the country had advanced so rapidly once Matthew Perry forced the country to open its ports and culture, sitting like a time bomb, waiting to share what it had made with the world during its isolationist streak. Because that's, that's how I remember Marshall, and it only seems the right way for me personally to view it this way. I, I miss you, Marshall, and I love you. now over to cole and sam
2: thank you ryan for that intro and i'm putting it on the record to reassure ryan that kiki's delivery service will without question be featured on Marshall's movies and now for the wind rises one thing that really stood out to me about the movie initially um was just how surprised i was by the subject matter because um certainly miyazaki's movies they could be very heavy they can be very dark in their own way but it's always in that Mm -hmm. kind of fantastical family movie kind of a way and this certainly could be a family movie but it's more of like an historical drama it's like if pixar made the king's speech or something like that. It's better than that but that's what it kind of (laughs) feels like and uh yeah so i wasn't sure i kind of want to see that (laughs) yeah now that i now that i bring that up i probably better than the original (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah did pixar ship do a historical drama that that would be like yeah very intriguing actually yeah. um yeah no it, yeah it is interesting and um kind of reading about the movie i saw I, the, this was the first movie he did since uh Panya, which was in 2008 <laughs> and then i think this came out in like 2014 uh, uh, still 13, in, Chicago yeah. in school when it came out 2013 okay yeah and i guess he had done this as a manga but just kind of was like like a little side hustle at first um and then it was brought up that maybe they they do this as his next uh film and I, I i i think at that point they were uh intending for it to be probably his last one um because i guess every movie he makes is going to be his last one um but uh but i guess he was like hesitant at first because uh he he said that this isn't typically subject matter for children's movie and that that's how he mainly uh views the movies even though uh, they've definitely done heavier stuff before especially uh i mean i don't even think this is as dark as like grave of the Fireflies, which he didn't direct obviously but that's oh, okay that's still uh that's that. a studio ghibli movie yeah didn't yeah. he do a... no, that one is he
2: did princess mononoke right yeah okay yeah that messed me up as a kid that,
0: yeah <laughs> no and, and that one that one too that one has kind of a darker edge to it it's got more of an uh, uh i mean like watching it like i you know, it's one of those things where like, I think a kid could watch it, but it doesn't feel like a kid's movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, it's not like Minions or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, he was initially hesitant to to do this because he just kind of felt the subject matter wasn't, um, you know, what their, their brand is kind of known for. But then someone on his crew said um, something along the lines of like, Just because it's not something that would be in a kid's movie that doesn't mean they shouldn't see it and that like just like they said like one sentence and he like totally changed his mind from then on so yeah and then they went on to make it which is i I think it's good that they did Mm -hmm.
2: yeah one moment that really stood out to me when i first watched it uh last week actually um was the lung hemorrhage scene and like uh-huh. when her character starts like coughing up blood like at that point I actually I paused the movie because yeah. I was like I needed I needed to look at the blu-ray case I was like okay what the hell is this movie rated this cannot be rated PG <laughs> and I was very happy yeah PG-13 because that was just it was just yeah. such a striking image and and I think certainly him I think Miyazaki of all people is a good fit for this kind of, cause the movie is also about like the contrast of dreams and reality. So, and he definitely uses that well and he definitely uses the animation well for that purpose.
0: I think, I think it's, I think it's interesting that it still has that, even though it is a historical drama, it has that uh, kind of thematic element that's in quite a lot of his movies. Uh, I, I think Spirited Away is a pretty obvious example of that um you know i think a lot of his movies kind of uh you know they go back and forth between reality and fantasy or dreams or 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 kind of this world of the supernatural um and it kind of like his movies have like a very deft way of portraying how the barrier between those two things can be thin uh or they can you know be kind of interchangeable at times and he continues that into this even though this is kind of more of a straightforward uh, grounded storyline.
2: One thing that I was thinking about too was how um I, I just think of like the little boss I think he was voiced by Martin Short you know he's this kind of oh yeah easily guy I, I liked him a lot but I I really admired his character because it seemed to have like an appropriate place within this within that concept of like sort of dreams and reality just not in the just in a different way than the rest of the movie does because when you have like the obnoxious little boss you know i think of like uh it's like a trope that you you know from like the incredibles or something like that where you have this you know napoleon complex kind of guy but for but well he's certainly the butt of many jokes, and while he's certainly this kind of enraged little you know imp of a character he also has he he also has quite a lot of heart and like when it comes down to it like yeah, he might be the obnoxious guy who shouts and who shouts ridiculous orders, but in terms of but he's also very subservient to like the world around him it's like when the like when when the one plane uh when the when test flight fails, all, he becomes a very mm-hmm. somber character, and I think that's yeah. sort of in keeping with that, as if the tropes are the kind of fantasy that we enjoy, but the reality of like the surrounding world, are kind of, it's like the tropes are subversive to the reality, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's another thing that's kind of carried over from his other movies. He, you know, and and. Honestly, this is something that I think is a, a bit more common in a lot of non-American-made films. Is that they often kind of portray characters or situations, but not in kind of a black and white uh, scenario. Uh, I think I remember it was Four Spirited Away. They, they, you know, I always thought it was interesting that they have she's in like this kind of bizarre world and there's these bizarre characters and there, there's some that are like antagonistic, but like by the end, they they aren't so much. And I mean, from what I understand, that that's a very Japanese thing. Like they have, they can have characters who, you know, they kind of tread that ground between light and dark. I think Howl's Moving Castle is another good example of that. There's mm-hmm. antagonistic characters in that and even protagonist characters in that. Sometimes you're not quite sure what Howl's deal is. You're not sure if he's, uh, you know, you're not sure what he's doing at first. You don't know if he's doing bad stuff or if he's doing good stuff or, or you're not quite so sure. Um, and yeah, no, that's, that's something that I think he carries over from a lot of his movies. I think it's something that makes his movies very, uh, compelling and, you know, it's what makes them classics to a lot of people and why they have so much, uh, you know, why they have legs outside of their own country.
2: Mm -hmm. By the way, just, this feels like an appropriate anecdote, just given how much Batman stuff you have in the background, I have my little Batman (laughs) thing here was uh Hell's moving castle was my first Miyazaki movie that i ever saw mm-hmm. but I, I watched it when i was like 14 i haven't seen it since right. i watched it because i was like because i was really into christian bale at the time and so i was just yeah. like oh he oh he Who did wasn't? an animated movie yeah yeah exactly and, uh, <laughs> and so i that's that was the main reason i watched my first Miyazaki. but i'm very excited to rewatch that um and Spirit of the yeah, Way. I, sorry, yeah. go ahead.
0: No, I was gonna say I watched it. I actually watched it for the first time uh earlier this year. I hadn't seen it before. Um I you know, I I don't I didn't really see his movies when I was a kid. I, I didn't watch a lot of uh anime, even though I think this kind of nowadays I would say that his movies, I, I'm not sure I'd categorize them as anime per se but just you know they are japanese animated films um but you know they're they're definitely of a different ilk from you know kind of what you typically associate with anime like sailor moon or dragon ball z or even something like um cowboy bebop or you know whatever is the most popular in in that in that kind of medium um his movies kind of transcend that but I i don't think i um maybe I, I saw my first ones in high school potentially college but um yeah even but even then i, I found them very compelling I, you know even though i wasn't a kid i, I still found a lot to enjoy about them Yeah, you know, they didn't feel like kids movies like you know there's a lot of kids movies that come out and, and i work in animation so i'm often uh you know, I'm exposed to a lot of that in many ways. I know people that work on lots of different projects and, you know, like I'd say like 90% of them are things that aren't things that would really interest me or things that I would kind of watch on my own volition. Um, But, you know, Miyazaki's movies definitely, um, they did, they they definitely transcended that.
2: Something else that I was thinking about too was, uh... I realized what I said was incorrect. My first Miyazaki was actually Princess Mononoke when I was like six or seven years old. And I was- Oh yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, because I was so fascinated by that movie though because it was at my local library. And I saw this, you know, cartoon movie, but I looked at the back and it said it was PG-13. I was like, what? That can't be right. It's a cartoon. It can't be PG-13. And then yeah. I eventually rented it. And I was just like, oh. And like when you had the deer neck being extended and then it's like decapitated or something, I was like, oh, I guess this is PG-13. Yeah, but- uh, no, it's, it, it, it's
0: yeah, the, it can be mind-blowing when you first see that, when you first see your first animated thing. That's not, it, that's not, so targeted towards Mm -hmm. kids yeah
2: Yeah. exactly i I was also thinking uh i I realized that his kind of storytelling in terms of like the balance of light and dark it really reminds me of uh, like guillermo del toro in that yeah it has darker more violent elements but it never feels like that's you know subverting the fantasy elements so much as it is complementing it I think yeah. Shape of Water is kind of a good example of that. Um, just with the, even if I'm a little uncomfortable with the direction that movie goes, that I kind of admire that when he had the you know Beauty you know sleep fucks the Beast moment, that didn't come from like mm-hmm. some sort of edge lord. Oh, I'm gonna you know make an R-rated fantasy thing. He was just like, no, I'm just taking that sort of fantasy trip to what I think is its logical R-rated conclusion. And that's kind of what Miyazaki, feel, especially with like uh, Princess Mononoke and The Wind Rises, it never feels like it's, the, fu- the violence never feels like it's too out there. Like like we saw a lot of no. in like in a Minions movie. Um,
0: but, no, but, no, yeah, it's it's never gratuitous. And I mean, everything he does has like a purpose and it's, you know, he's kind of like, he's kind of like Chuck Jones in that way when he Mm -hmm. made the the Roadrunner cartoons, he actually put a lot of thought into those. And there's actually like uh, like a very serious philosophy behind them. They're not just gags. And Miyazaki is kind of like that in his, but obviously not in like a comedy realm, more in like a fantasy drama Mm -hmm. uh, adventure realm, but still he kind of has that same approach. It's very thoughtful.
2: And I just keep going back to that lung hemorrhage scene too, because that just that just seems like a perfect encapsulation of what the movie's about in a lot of ways, because at first you think it's just like this, you know, maybe it's like paint that's being dropped, maybe it's an allegory, maybe it's a metaphor, and then you realize that it's very literal. Yeah. Um yeah. and I I also really like the protagonist, Jiro, because he he's a very, I don't know what the proper term is he's he's a protagonist who's he's not very emotive right he's just kind of going he's kind love. of he's
0: kind of passive
2: yeah but yeah exactly that's a, exactly the word um i especially think of the scene when like his sister comes to visit him and she's saying all this about, about his wife and like about how her condition is so much worse and then it's like does she have to be here with you and then you know he responds mm-hmm. with yes because now our time together, you know because the every day we have is very precious now and it's like oh yeah no don't get don't worry i already knew all that you know um yeah and yeah and i think just important level was an interesting choice for the american dub that i watched I, but i do need to watch the uh original japanese version
0: yeah i haven't watched that yet but it was interesting because um, there's this documentary about the making of the movie it's if you haven't seen it it's it's really worth your time to watch um, yeah, like to watch it. I think it's called never ending man or something um, it, it's about the making of this movie from like start to finish um, mm. and it's fascinating but yeah he they show him picking the original voice actor for hero which is um uh, Hideko ano who uh, is not an actor per se but he he is he is quite well known in in anime and Japanese filmmaking. He created Neon Genesis Evangelion, and uh, he directed Shin Godzilla. And uh, you know, he. It's interesting that he decided to pick him. And it, when you watch the documentary, you actually see when they like think of him as a possible person to cast, and they kind of do it as a joke at first. And but then you see Miyazaki going like, "Oh wait, like no, like." We should get this guy. Like, he is this character, pretty much. Like, we should just get him to do it. Um, and it's nice because I, I think uh, Hideko Anno got uh, his start working for Miyazaki on some of his earlier movies um, and then went on to go uh, have his own uh, pretty prominent career. Um, but yeah, no, I, I haven't seen that original dub either, but I'd definitely be very curious to check it out. But they have some good actors in the. In the dub i mean it's pretty hard to beat werner herzog as the yeah yeah as the as the defective defecting german uh guy
2: mm-hmm. uh what was i gonna say i was right about to say something that, that story that you just said reminded me of uh what led to Bird being cast as a Edna and the Incredibles about how at first they were just like sure like he was like a temp or something like that but they're like oh
0: maybe yeah I think he did the scratch dialogue for it and that happens more often than you think people do scratch dialogue in animation and then sometimes they just like it so much they they get them a sag card but then they 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 let them actually do the voice of the character in the final in the final thing um there's like another Pixar movie where they did that I think maybe the guy who did Doug's voice.
2: Um, I think you're right. Yeah. I think that was uh, Bob Peterson. I think it's
0: one of the directors. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's pretty common.
2: One thing that I also kind of go back to when thinking about this movie is the earthquake scene because it mm-hmm. looks very. When it first happened, again, this is when I was just watching the movie, just thinking of it as a Miyazaki movie, not knowing that it was primarily going to be a historical drama, I thought, oh, are these like, you know, the, the hill demons coming up from their hills or something like that? And it has a very ominous feeling and a scope that reminded me, I can't exactly remember which scene, but it has a kind of scope that reminded me of Ponyo a little bit that earthquake scene. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I wasn't sure what was.
0: Yeah, it has a surreal quality to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is which is interesting, because I, I think, again, that's just something, that's something you can do in animation that's kind of harder to pull off in live action, is you can bend the way you portray something while keeping it true to get the kind of visceral feeling ac- across. and. I think he does that like that earthquake scene it when i think of it it just it just it just looks like the world turns into a jello mold in, in the movie and yeah um it's like that's something you could never really accomplish in live action as effective um so yeah no it's 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 great even when he's doing kind of a grounded thing he still finds a way to show animation you know kind of the strengths of it, as opposed to live action.
2: Yeah, it's almost like he, just the way that image looks, you would expect it to have, again, that kind of supernatural quality to it, but it's almost like he embraces the animation as itself, its own supernatural quality that it can express real things in more abstract ways. Mm -hmm. So this movie isn't based on a true story, right? It's based on a book, The Wind Has Risen.
0: Uh, I think it's both. I think it's based on a true story. I think hero is a real person, Uh, and I think it's based on a book. And I, yeah, it is partially based on a book. I think that's where they get the name, the title of the movie, and some Mm -hmm. other elements of it. I know they definitely. It's not completely true to life. Like I think he has a younger sister in the movie, but I think in real life the guy had like a. Uh, an older brother so you know there's details like that that are different but it's it's also i think true in the sense that i I think it's uh, miyazaki's kind of drawing upon the life of his own father in the story and I, i believe his father designed planes too um or did something with airplanes and that's why he has such a fascination with them and that's uh Prominent in, I think, every single one of his movies, just flight and the mechanics and engineering of planes and flying vehicles and, and all that sort of thing. Um, definitely Porco Rosso. And uh, what was this first one? The oh God, what's, what's, what's that movie? Nature. Nausicaa. Oh, it, yeah yeah nausicaa the valley of the Moon. like they have these these kind of they're like fantasy vehicles but you know they look like they could work if somebody built them in real life um and yeah and i i think that's why this movie in many ways it's it's why it's kind of one of his more poignant works not only because it's his last one even though i I think he is working on another one already Hmm. um at least one more thing um it's his last movie but it's it's also it kind of, it's kind of like a summation of his career in many ways it has like a lot of elements from his past movies in this one but kind of like distilled a little bit um it, you know it draws upon uh real life japanese history and it draws upon i think the life of his dad and uh, i think when they were at the premiere he like started crying and he said like this is the first time he's ever watched one of his movies and it made him cry and I I think it's because he you know it it reminds him so much of his dad who and and I think they had kind of a I don't know if they had like a strained relationship or you know it seemed like he had a lot of respect for his dad but maybe I don't know it it wasn't like that warm of a relationship but Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe this movie made him feel closer to his dad in a certain way I got a cough um uh made him made him feel closer to his dad in a certain way um and really i I think it kind of sums up his whole career because you know it's about this guy who is living through sort of tumultuous times and he has like a talent that um you know people are utilizing during those tumultuous times um and he's trying not to like really think about what you know what he's making like what it's being Mm -hmm. used for he just wants to make you know like a beautiful product like that's all that he cares about and he tries not to think about the fact that it's used as weapons of war um you know i don't i don't think that's like a one-to-one comparison to making animated films but Mm -hmm. you know it I think there's something there about like a person just wanting to make something and being kind of hampered by extent uh, uh external forces
2: yeah i found this quote from a guardian article um from back when the movie came out that i thought was interesting uh it says that in an interview the Um, Miyazaki said he had very complex feelings about the war, adding that militarist Japan had acted out of, quote, foolish arrogance, but the zero, Mm. he added, represented one of the few things we Japanese could be proud of. They were truly formidable presence, and so were the pilots who flew them. So so he's pretty clearly embracing that kind of dichotomy of what, what you were just talking about, about people just wanting to create, but that those creations being misused.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, he's got a real Oppenheimer complex going on there. Um. Yeah. He's, he's like, uh, he's like, he's like that guy in the Eternals who gives uh, people I, technology I and then they go to Hiroshima and he's like, <laughs> What have I done? I didn't
2: want to make that comparison, but I was very much thinking about that comparison. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, God. yeah. I mean, there's there's something too, and it. it's an interesting idea. I think I think people have kind of misread that scene a, a little bit. I, I, you know, I think I people think so are too. are reading. Yeah, I, I think they're kind of reading it as like, oh, like Marvel created an lgbt character and then made him responsible yeah. for mm-hmm. the atomic bombings fail but i think it's i think it's a little more nuanced than that i i think again it's kind of it's kind of working on this idea of like what is the cost of like creating something if like it's going to be used to mm-hmm. you know kill people you know that's that's something that some people in positions like that have to consider
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I do think the Eternals scene was kind of. I mean, I don't like the movie, but that scene was kind not, of taken not out me of time. Yeah, it's like it's a pretty simple like, oh, I was just trying to help people, but they used my help to hurt. You know, that's yeah, yeah. That it just is on a bigger scale when you're dealing with a demigod and you know that technology.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this but, this movie does it a lot better. And the whole movie is basically like, like it's like that scene from the Eternals is like just the whole movie pretty much. And they actually kind of explore it to like a satisfying degree, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Totally, because, uh, because the movie really does a much better and I think more compelling job of focusing on, like as you were talking about, like the creative process. It's not just like some you know, it's not just kind of slapped on, and I I especially think it's interesting because the movie doesn't really show too much, like, wartime stuff either, so it's more, um, like, there's definitely a lot of, like, you know, um, low points for the characters, certainly, especially with, you know, the tuberculosis, and they show some war images, but it definitely, um, it definitely emphasizes more on the kind of implied dread that comes from, you know, what we, you know, from his dreams about being worried about what his machines will be used for instead of just, you know, have, you know, have a few scenes of him making some stuff and then crying next to fire or whatever. It, mm-hmm. um, and. I I also think, sort of tangential, but one thing I think the movie does a pretty extraordinary job of is just like the relation of the characters and like the environment. One scene I always go back to is when he sees Nohoko. um, What was his wife's name again? Uh, When he sees uh, Nohoko um, in the restaurant and they're like just missing each other, Um, like there's always Mm -hmm. like a waiter in the way or something like that. Uh, There's a kind of marvelous magic to that scene um yeah and that's just one thing that i was thinking about but don't know if you have something to say
0: yeah no he he and, and this is also something i've noticed in a lot of japanese especially animated things they really uh have an ability or, or they put like kind of a uh, a priority in kind of establishing a setting and an atmosphere and in, in a tone uh, of like, you know, spec- like a very specific place, like often in Miyazaki's movies and other anime I've watched, you know, it, it, they, the environments feel very lived in and they feel very, uh, you know, they, they feel like real places, even though they're, they're not, I mean, like Akira, even though that, that is like a, uh, that's like a futuristic Tokyo you know, future world that like doesn't exist. It feels real. It feels like, you know, a place you could really go to. And if the same is true for the wind rises here, because um, you know, they go to like the the summer place that they go to, the kind of resort mm-hmm. area, and yeah, then they go to the, the cities. And I mean, uh, you know, during wartime, and they're you know, I especially I like the scene where they're kind of uh trying to avoid the 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 secret Nazi police in, in the streets in the middle of the, yeah. you know, but like that sort of stuff. It, it just feels very atmospheric. I know in, in a lot of manga, they um, like, you'll be reading it and sometimes it'll just be a panel of like, just a room or, or, you know, the place where the scene is taking place, but there's nobody in it or there's no talking over it. It's just kind of there to kind of implant you know, the impression that the artist wants to get across in your mind is a very specific place they uh, that the scene is being set in. So yeah, no, it's, I, I just think it's interesting that that seems to be a thing in a lot of Japanese animated products.
2: And th- uh, when you were talking about the atmosphere, I also started thinking about, I think it's the first scene with Werner Herzog's character as the defective German. Um, and they're just kind of outside having a smoke, um, and it's like the restaurant is like just about to close or already has closed and what I really liked about that was that that setting and that kind of time you know like if basically anytime in a movie, you know, people are kind of having, you know, an after-hours smoke or something like that, and they're talking, like, they're gonna have pretty simple conversation, but there's gonna be kind of, like, a coy kind of wink, like, oh, you know what I'm really talking about kind of a thing, and they Uh use that as an opportunity to kind of get them talking, saying sort of previously unsayable things about the war, things that would get them in a lot of trouble with their respective sides, I guess, and yeah I just yeah. thought it was an interesting synergy between like time environment and like the conflict of the scene
0: yeah yeah no it's yeah everything about the movie is very nuanced i, I think that's why i like it uh it's probably one of my favorite miyazaki films just because even though i i like all i think i've liked all the movies that i've seen i haven't seen every single one but you know all the ones i have seen um You know they're very compelling and they're very um you know they're for kids but they they feel like something you can enjoy as an adult but this one really does feel like it feels like an adult movie that kids can watch it's sort of Mm -hmm. it's kind of the inverse of of his other movies and yeah it's 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 just everything about it is so nuanced it's one of the
2: uh going back to that king speech comparison that's really what it kind of feels like in that because like king speech was you know technically rated r but you know my dad and stepmom were showing that movie to my little brother and sister when they were like four going on five so it's it's yeah. definitely a sort of safer ground i guess and i still have much to see from miyazaki um worth noting is that the one i think the We might have watched another one that I'm not thinking, but the one Miyazaki movie that Marshall and I watched together that I can think of right now, at least, was Spirited Away, and he was very much like Mm -hmm. like that's when I kind of found out that when I really realized how big of a Miyazaki fan he was, and he just kind of talked me through them. That was a fun experience, but I did, I was just fascinated by this one though because as we were talking about, it's just not quite what I expected. From him, but it's still kind of I guess in kind of going out of what I expected to be the norm for Miyazaki, I realized what the true norm for his for his for him was. Because it's certainly different from the rest of his work, but it, it definitely has a consistent, it has a very similar tone in a lot of ways. It has a very similar catharsis. Um, and it comes from a I guess the same heart, I guess, as GCS that sounds. Yeah. And, and it just really felt like even if it's not necessarily my favorite from him um so far it taught me a lot about him as a person and as a storyteller
0: yeah i i i think you could argue it's probably his most personal movie just given the fact that it's about planes which uh anybody who knows him knows that like if he weren't making animated movies he'd he'd be this guy he'd be designing airplanes uh hopefully not for war but you know it it uh it, it's definitely it's definitely an obsession of his that is carried over through pretty much all of his movies um yeah no it's I, I think it's his most personal movie of his what i've seen
2: and tangential but could be wrong because we've talked about him going into into retirement in the past um isn't he going blind i Uh, don't know i haven't i haven't heard that maybe maybe i'm thinking of someone else i don't know but that's just because i mean you are right that he uh he said that the wind rises was going to be his last movie um but he does have something coming out in 2023 that he's returning for. I thought he recently directed some CGI animated movie. Was that just Studio Ghibli?
0: No, he did. It was a short film. Um, Oh my God. There's a, there's like a great making of or behind the scenes thing about that. Um, you need to watch it because it's, it's basically it's about him kind of like dipping his toes into CG and seeing like how he likes doing that. I and mean, he made, it's it's like a short film. I think they only play it at the at the Ghibli Museum in, in Japan. Okay. Um, there, but there's this amazing scene where um, these guys from another Japanese animation studio they come to like show him like something that they made and they show, and it's like a CG thing. I think it's like a motion capture thing or like it might be something for a video game, but it's like this like little video of like, it's like a zombie and somebody like, I think did motion capture and it does all these kind of like erratic movements. And it's like kind of like weird and grotesque. And um, you know, it, it's definitely like kind of off-putting. And then after watching it, like Miyazaki's like very silent, and then he he's like very blunt with them, and <laughs> says like this this is like a mockery of like human life, and <laughs> that they should be ashamed of themselves. And you you can they have the camera on the people as they're listening to this, and you can just see that like they know like their life is over, <laughs> like like it's it. It's truly, it's really worth looking at. I mean, he really like destroys their their spirits. Um. Um,
2: that just remind I'm just imagining. Uh, I've never seen this entire movie, and I hope I never will. But I worked at the King of Persia Theater when I saw uh, Jack and J- when I when Jack and Jill came out, and there's that okay. scene at the end when. Al Pacino watches the Dungachino ad for the first time, and then Adam Sandler says, oh, So, so, what do you think? Like, uh, any thoughts on the ad? And then Al Pacino's just like, Burn this, this must never be seen by human eyes. And I'm just imagining yeah. me yeah. saying that to those poor fuckers. But I do yeah, admire that he's pretty much like that. But I do admire that he decided that he went outside of his comfort zone like that just to see what it was like even if he ended up not going for it
0: yeah Um, yeah yeah no i mean i i think he tried it out i I think he probably figures he he's probably a bit too old to take something like that on as like a full-time project Mm -hmm. um i do know studio ghibli did put out a cg movie but i I don't th- I don't think anybody liked it. Yeah, as that, far as I
2: understand. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of um because I mean this was I I guess I thought that every Studio Ghibli movie was a Miyazaki movie which is which I feel very stupid for thinking but um but I oh, no. was thinking about their uh they did do some CGI animated movie and I knew that it was eviscerated. so I was like oh wow Miyazaki directed a movie that was eviscerated, so I'm a little I'm a little relieved that he didn't actually direct that and that he has Yeah,
0: no, it's it's just Miyazaki, but then um he had like his kind of partner uh slash they're like his like frenemy basically. that um it was him and this other guy, Iwau Takamoto, and they kind of came up together in the same uh anime studios in the 60s and 70s, and then And then he founded Ghibli. And then I think Takamoto kind of went with him, but he made his own movies. He made Palm Poco, which is a really good movie. He made my neighbors, the Yamadas. He did, I'm pretty sure he did graveyard of the fireflies. Um, And so that it's kind of fascinating to like watch both of their movies. They have this kind of weird parallel career going on that you can kind of see how they push each other and, and you know how they how they kind of draw upon each other for for you know everything that they what they do, but you also kind of see where they kind of diverge or try other things. Um, in the in the documentary I mentioned uh, earlier about the making of Wind Rises, they also document how uh, Takamoto is making his own movie at the same time, and how they're kind of coming out at the same time. Um, so you know it's very interesting and then I I think a couple movies have been directed by Miyazaki's son and that's like that whole relationship is so bizarre because like you can kind of tell that there's like tension between them or they're not that close but like his son is working at the studio and he didn't endeavor to be an animator or an animation director I, I think he used to be a landscaper in fact but um he at some point he decided he wanted he wanted to get into the family business and i think miyazaki kind of uh is kind of disappointed in that in him it, it's like openly disappointed about that about his son in that regard um and again you see this all in these in these documentaries that they put out, it's it's fascinating. Like they're, they're very frank, uh, you know, in the way that they depict everybody and how everybody talks about each other. That even more so than watching the whole Ghibli canon of movies, you know, find these documentaries about the making it because it's fascinating. It's It's like this weird, Sometimes it feels like there's like this weird cold war going on there where like Miyazaki and Takamoto like hate each other, but like they're also best friends. It's it's fascinating.
2: That uh relationship reminded me of a really nice line um in The Wind Rises where the uh friend uh Kiro um when he when uh hero wants uh Kiro on his team but then little Martin short guys like no like you end you just end up competing like friendship's more important or something like that so I wonder mm-hmm. if that was kind of an acknowledgement of like of you know sort of separating your work life and your friend life in some ways and just with that relationship you were talking about too
0: yeah maybe uh John Krasinski's character is meant to be talk about oh, that's yeah but that, that's an interesting read I think I, I I don't think that's far off at all I think that's that's probably you know what's kind of going on there mm-hmm.
2: yeah and especially that lesson too uh, it's almost like he's kind of saying that that's how he wishes his relationship with uh you said his name is Takamoto yeah, yeah maybe that's how he wishes his his relationship with Takamoto ended up but yeah just with the way you yeah. describe the relationship and the auto and the biographical elements of it. Yeah, I just thought that was uh, worth bringing up um, Yeah, again, I,
0: I, I think this is his most personal movie. It seems like almost like an autobiography in many ways, but told through another person's life.
2: Yeah. So did you have uh, anything else that you wanted to say about the film that you don't feel we touched on?
0: Gosh, I'm not sure. Um, it's the only Miyazaki movie I've seen in theaters because again, I kind of came late, kind of came late to his movies. As in, like, I didn't really watch them when I was a kid. They, I, they weren't like I don't know for whatever reason they weren't like readily available to me, and they weren't things my mom would necessarily gravitate towards to show us. Um, she's not a big anime person. Um, but you know, again, like I said earlier, I, I think his work kind of transcends, uh, you know, that kind of otaku culture and that's in kind of more traditional anime. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this is the only one of his I saw in theaters. Um, I'd like to see more, but, you know, I think he only has one more left, so I can only count on like repertory screenings or something mm-hmm. like that. But um, yeah, I, I I think we pretty much, pretty much covered it. I, I'd say it's like a top three Miyazaki for me. I I would say my favorites are, I like this one. I like Spirited Away a lot. Uh, I like Castle of Cagliostro a lot, That that one's kind of, that one's interesting because it's kind of an outlier in his filmography. It's his first movie he did and it's got a lot of Miyazaki elements to it, but he is kind of adapting. Um, Not that he hasn't adapted other work, uh, because i think the wind the wind rises is yeah. kind of an adaptation of another thing But you know this you know castle of Caglio show was like an adaptation of i think a pretty well established thing at the time of lupin the 3rd um yeah no, I, I would say those are probably probably my three three favorites by him
2: yeah uh as i mentioned before i haven't seen too many from him uh, i've watched Three from Marshall's collection. Uh, the other one was Ponyo, which I quite liked, and uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, which will be, which will definitely be on Marshall's movies because Kiki's Delivery Service is straight up like a top three Marshall movie, not just Miyazaki, not just his Miyazaki, but like that's one of his three favorite films of all time. But well, but, I... this, but this seemed like a this seemed like a good movie to sort of bring up first before we got to Kiki's delivery service because it um, it's just, it seems like it's lesser known for Miyazaki. Like it certainly doesn't have like the, like I could go to Will and Hadley who are like 15 and say, have you heard of My Neighbor Tortoro or Spirit of Way? And they probably would, but they haven't, but they probably haven't heard of The Wind Rises. And so just, no. yeah, so it felt good. Yeah, and to- I
0: mean, I, that, it doesn't surprise me it does you know it's it's not really a kids movie and I don't mean that as in like kids can't watch it or shouldn't watch it I really think they should but it's not something that I think would appeal to a lot of you know it's not appealing to the same demographic in America that's seeing like Minions or Sing or like you know those kinds of movies it's not kind of like a feel-good movie it's very it's very sad and it's about like grown ups doing grown up things and you know it's even though it is if there is fantasy and surrealness to it it's it's very grounded and sobering and I, I don't think a kid can really appreciate that but maybe like a smart 10 year old could like really find something in it and i think that's who we made the movie for ultimately it was you know the 10% of kids that are like a little bit more thoughtful i guess
2: yeah no it's uh it's definitely something that someone would watch after exploring more of miyazaki to go through his more to go to a more mature side but yeah that, yeah that's a really good way to put it um yeah uh one to so uh, but thank you for doing this cole uh we're oh yeah glad to have you on and uh yeah there's You know, plenty more Marshalls movies to choose from. So hopefully we'll have you on again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll come on anytime you want.